We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 397 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, September 12th, 2022, and the commanders in the NFL's 2022 regular season are 1-0. and They did it. They, on Sunday afternoon, won. Victory is ours. Uh, a 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at a lively FedEx field on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the Commanders did blow a 14-3 second quarter lead, but you know what else happened? The Commanders overcame a 22-14 fourth quarter deficit as we all got a crash course in the Carson Wentz experience. Seriously, have you ever seen a more high variance up and down push-pull, love-hate performance from a Washington quarterback like the performance that we saw from Carson Wentz on Sunday afternoon. Forget the entire game. Carson Wentz in just the fourth quarter had two killer interceptions, but they were followed by two glorious touchdown passes. Uh, We all had heard about the roller coaster that is Carson Wentz. Well, we all experienced that firsthand on Sunday afternoon. Hello and welcome to a Commander's post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast, a victory Monday installment of the podcast. Uh, It is great to be with you. If you are new to the podcast, welcome aboard. This is the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast for which there is a new episode every weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out early in the morning. I go in-depth on the commanders on every show. And my friends, we have so much to talk about with this win over the Jags. In-depth reaction to and analysis of the big win will begin Next segment, uh, Carson Wentz, uh, the key performances of a number of the commander's skill position players, the commander's defense. I will cover it all and more. Uh, You will also hear the best of what Carson and head coach Rod Rivera had to say during their postgame press conferences on Sunday. Hey, speaking of Carson and Ron, how about Ron giving a game ball to Carson? 
Uh, here for you is post-game audio from the commander's locker room. You'll first hear Ron, and then you'll hear Carson. We talk about value. We talk about work. Guys, when it comes down to it, you stayed where you were supposed to stay, and that was right on the field. You stayed focused. You corrected some things. You made some things happen. And some of you guys rose to the occasion and made plays. That's huge. That's huge. I got one special one I want to give, just so everybody understands. For everything that he has gone through, for everything that he's worked for, he deserved this win. Yeah! I know it's been a wild off season for me, for all of us, but we have so much potential in this locker room. For us to go out and do the thing we did tonight, I know it looked rough for a second. Back-to-back passes thrown to the other team, that's on me. But that's the way we finish, and that's what good teams do. You find a way to win. It ain't always going to be pretty in this league, but you find a way to dig deep and get it done in the end, and that's what we did tonight. Good job. Three, one, two, three, Yeah, you see, I love that stuff. And how about Carson Wentz dropping some naughty words? Carson Wentz had to be censored by the commanders. Carson letting his hair down a little bit after the win. (laughs) Why the heck not? Uh, Good for him. Good for the team. And you know what? Good for us as fans, okay? We deserved that win. Uh, By the way, Ron Rivera now 2-1 in Week 1 games as Washington head coach. For comparison's sake, Jay Gruden went 1-5 and five in Week 1 games as Redskins head coach. Uh, what a Week 1, by the way, in the NFC East. The Commanders, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the New York Giants all won, and the Dallas Cowboys lost, and in more ways than one. Uh, so the Eagles won at the Commanders' next opponent, the Detroit Lions, 38-35. The Giants won at the Tennessee Titans, 21-20. The Cowboys lost, and they lost, their starting quarterback, Dak Prescott. He's expected to miss several weeks due to a thumb injury that he suffered in the Cowboys' 19-3 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football. And remember, the Commanders will be at the Cowboys in Week 4. So when we hear that Dak is expected to miss several weeks Uh, Several weeks would seem to very possibly mean that Dak will be out for the Commanders game at the Cowboys in week four. How about that? Uh, Also on the show, I will talk college football, uh, my thoughts on what went down on Saturday for Maryland, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Navy. Uh, The Terrapins got an exceptional performance from quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, this in a 56-21 win at Charlotte on Saturday afternoon. The Hokies bounce back from their season-opening home loss at Old Dominion with a 27-10 win over Boston College at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday night. The Cavaliers got stomped at Illinois 24-3 on Saturday, and the midshipmen got routed by Memphis 37-13 at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on Saturday afternoon. Lots to get into with college football. I'll talk Nationals and Orioles as well. Some thoughts on the Nats getting swept in three games at the Philadelphia Phillies over the weekend, and on the O's losing two or three games to the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the weekend. The O's are falling off in the American League wildcard race. I'm not happy about that. 
Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the commander's win over the Jags. A tweet from Mitchell White on Carson Wentz. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. A tweet from John B. Jacob Jr. Carson is the reason we won. Tweet from Tim Watts. Still not sold on Carson. A tweet from Kelly on Carson Wentz. I may have a heart attack this season. Uh, Yeah, wait till you hear what Ron Rivera had to say about uh, having to deal with the ups and the downs of Carson Wentz as a quarterback. Email from Jim D. The Curtis Samuel we were all expecting last season has finally arrived, and I am so happy for him. The Carson Wentz experience has also arrived, and we might be in for a roller coaster of a season. Defense made plays when we needed them, but things still have to get better on that side of the ball. And how about the turnout at FedEx Field? Unbelievable. Hail to the Commanders. Hail victory on to Detroit. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. Yeah, the crowd at FedEx Field. Let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, FedEx Field seemed to be rather full, and the crowd at FedEx Field seemed to be rather loud, and the crowd at FedEx Field seemed to be cheering for the home team, as opposed to being filled with fans of the visiting team. Uh, Paid attendance was 58,000 192. But yeah, uh, that was nice to see. That was encouraging to see. That was refreshing to see. I'd like to see more of that moving forward here this season. Uh, Much more on the Commander's win over the Jags in moments. But before that, I have a question for you. Have you had a hard time losing weight? Uh, Have you perhaps lost weight, but then the weight came right back? If the answer to either question is yes, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today, These mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. The solution is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. Now, Dr. Mintz does not use, uh, say, powders or shakes or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes and to give you the support that you need to succeed. Dr. Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in-person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in-person or virtual follow-up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer your questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all, of these things will be covered by or be reimbursable through your insurance. Uh, Dr. Matthew Mintz has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He's a big Commanders fan. I know that he's happy on this Monday. He is a loyal listener of this podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling 855 646 
855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z.com. And click on medical weight loss. 855-646-8963, or drmintz.com, and make sure that you tell Dr. Matthew Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. And so let us begin dissecting the Commander's 28-22 regular season opening win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. And we begin with Commander's quarterback, Carson Wentz. Carson, in his regular season debut as the Commander's starting quarterback, as the Commander's QB1, uh, gave us the complete roller coaster that is the Carson Wentz experience. I, during the game, tweeted that I now understand the Carson Wentz experience. I do. I think that we all do now. It's one thing to hear about the Carson Wentz experience. It's another thing to experience the Carson Wentz experience. Uh, We now, as Commanders fans, have experienced the experience. And it's a ride, man, okay? It is some ride. But in this case, the ride took us to an oh-so-wonderful destination, a commander's win. And the bottom line is this. Carson Wentz overall was good. Like, at the end of the game, netting everything out, there was more good from Carson than there was bad from Carson. He went 27 of 41 for 313 yards, four touchdowns, and yes, two interceptions. Uh, He took just one sack. He had six carries for 12 yards. He quarterbacked a commander's offense that went 7 of 10 on third downs, and he quarterbacked a game-winning 13-play, 90-yard touchdown drive. That resulted in his third and eight, 24-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Jahan Dotson with 146 left in the fourth quarter. This was commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on Carson Wentz. Well, I, I, again, when we get a chance to take a look at it on tape, but I, I do know he was late on one of the picks, and you know, and, and again, it, he took a little extra hitch, and you can see it on on, on the on the video when, when I looked up at it. But you know, he knows, and uh, he took you know he took full responsibility, and, and, and that's 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 huge. You know, the, the guy played his butt off and did a lot of good things, though, and uh, real happy for him, real excited for him the, the way he played. Well, know this. Carson Wentz on Sunday afternoon became the first Washington quarterback with at least four touchdown passes in a week one game since Billy Kilmer in 1975. Carson on Sunday afternoon became the first quarterback in franchise history with at least four touchdown passes in his first regular season game with the organization. Uh, Carson came up big, very big, with two fourth-quarter touchdown passes. The commander's 10th offensive drive, a four-play 78-yard drive, resulted in Carson Wentz's fourth-quarter first and 10, 49-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to Terry McLaurin, who Carson hit in stride down the right sideline to cut the commander's deficit to 22-20. What a throw by Carson. You know, something that you've heard me talk about on this podcast is the need, the screaming need for Washington to be better at generating 
explosive plays, especially in the passing game. Sharp football stats defines an explosive passing play as a pass that goes for at least 20 yards. Washington, for the 2021 regular season for sharp football stats, ranked just 24th out of 32 NFL teams in explosive passing play rate. In fact, here are Washington's rankings in explosive passing play rate over the last few regular seasons. 2021, 24th. 2020, 31st, as in next to last in the NFL. 2019, 27th. 2018, 27th. Washington has finished 24th or worse in the 32-team NFL in explosive passing play rate for sharp football stats in each of the last four regular seasons. Well, how'd you like that Carson Wentz touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin as an explosive play? A fourth quarter, 49-yard touchdown bomb. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on if that touchdown pass was the type of play that Ron had in mind when he traded for Carson this past March. Yes, and, and that was, um, you know, again, that was a heck of a call by Scott, you know, and, and, and I love the way he communicated what he wanted from, uh, fr- from, from Carson, and Carson went out and did it, and, and that, that was big. That gave us a chance right there to win a football game. No question about that. Uh, you know, I thought that offensive coordinator Scott Turner called a heck of a game, by the way. Uh, the commanders after that Carson Wentz 49-yard touchdown bomb to Terry McLaurin it did then go for two. Uh, the two-point attempt resulted in Carson being sacked and resulted in an illegal use of hands penalty on the commanders. But also on this drive was the snap right before the touchdown. Carson Wentz, a third and eight, 27-yard shotgun completion to a wide-open Logan Thomas. Then we had the Commander's 11th offensive drive. What was the game-winning drive? 13 plays, 90 yards, resulted in Carson Wentz's 3rd and 8, 24-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson with 146 left in the fourth quarter. Another big clutch touchdown strike by Carson. Despite Dodson being pretty well covered, you know, this touchdown pass for the NFL's next-gen stats had a completion probability of just 23.7%, and yet the touchdown pass happened. Uh, The commanders after that Carson Wentz fourth quarter touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson went for two, and Carson on the two-point conversion attempt converted. He came through. He connected on a shotgun play action pass to J.D. McKissick for the 28-22 commander's lead. So two huge fourth quarter touchdown passes by Carson Wentz. Also, Carson was great over the commander's first two offensive drives of the game. Uh, The commander's first offensive drive, an eight-play, 74-yard drive, resulted in Carson's first quarter second and goal, three-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel. Uh, We're going to do a lot on Curtis as the show progresses. Uh, The ensuing extra point gave the commanders a 7-3 lead. Carson on this drive, four of five for 65 yards and a touchdown. And he had a three-yard scramble. The commander's second offensive drive, a 14-play, 71-yard drive that consumed seven minutes, 31 seconds off the clock, resulted in Carson Wentz's second quarter, second and six, 70-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson. The ensuing extra point gave the commanders a 14-3 lead. Carson on this drive, 7 of 10 for 58 yards 
and the touchdown. It's so odd. Carson early in the game was great. Carson late in the game was great. Carson in the middle of the game and into the fourth quarter was not good. Again, the Carson Wentz experience. Uh, some other positives from Carson in the win over the Jags. Uh, he showed some mobility and escapability and only took one sack. Uh, the commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt. The fourth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a first and 10, eight-yard Shotgun play-action scramble. Uh, the commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in Carson's first fourth-quarter interception, but the second snap of the drive and the next-to-last snap of the third quarter, Carson impressively evaded defensive lineman Foley Fatukasi on a late third-quarter first-and-five four-yard under-center play-action completion to Antonio Gibson. Uh, the lone sack that Carson Wentz took certainly did not seem to be on him. Uh, the commander's sixth offensive drive, opening drive of the second half, resulted in a punt. The fourth snap of the drive, edge defender Trayvon Walker abused Samuel Cosme for a second and 12 sack of Carson for an eight-yard loss. Uh, Carson drew a penalty to ice the game. The commander's 12th offensive drive, the third snap of the drive, third and three for the commanders at their 33. A hard count by Carson Wentz, induced a five-yard neutral zone infraction penalty by the aforementioned Foley Fatukasi for a commander's first down to seal the win as the next two snaps were kneel downs by Carson. And keep this in mind, Carson's numbers for the game would have been even better if not for back-to-back -back drops by commander's pass catchers. Uh, that commander's seventh offensive drive that resulted in a third-quarter punt, the fifth snap of the drive. Curtis Samuel did have a drop. He had a drop on a Carson second-and-two shotgun play-action incompletion on a sidearm throw by Carson. And then the next snap, John Bates had a drop on a Carson Wentz third-and-two shotgun incompletion. Uh, the bad from Carson Wentz in this game. Uh, well, his two interceptions, okay? They were not good. And each came in the fourth quarter of the commander's Eighth offensive drive. On the second snap of the fourth quarter, Carson on a second and eight at the commander's 39 certainly seemed to stare down his intended receiver, Jahan Dodson, and fired a shotgun interception to corner Tyson Campbell. The ensuing Jags offensive drive resulted in kicker Riley Patterson's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal for a 15-14 Jags lead. Uh, the commander's ninth offensive drive, the lone snap of the drive. First and 10 for the commanders at their 25. Carson Wentz, a brutal interception as he on a first and 10 under center play action pass attempt on a screen was picked off by Trayvon Walker. Uh, Carson off his play action fake spun around, did not see Walker, who to his credit made an impressive pick, a lunging pick with his arms outstretched. I mean, there is an element to this pick of, hey, great play by Trayvon Walker as opposed to just a horrendous play by Carson Wentz. But, you know, that is a pick that just cannot happen, especially given where the football was. Again, that was on a first and 10 for the Commanders at their 25. And the very next snap was what? A Jags touchdown. Running back James Robinson's fourth quarter, first and 10, 11-yard under center toss touchdown run. The ensuing extra point gave the Jags a 22-14 lead. Uh, this was Carson Wentz during his postgame press conference on Sunday on his two interceptions. Yeah, it's an ugly stretch, obviously. Um, anytime you have back-to-back -back turnovers, that's never fun. Um, first one, I just threw it late. Guy made a good play, but that was a bad decision. Second one, guy made a heck of a play. Uh, throwing a screen, he came out of nowhere. Uh, tough break. Um, ideally, just dirt that one. But, yeah, it's a tough stretch there uh, to bounce back from. But uh, guys did a good job. Everybody was rallying around each other, and obviously we got it done.
Yes, you did. Uh, also, Carson Wentz uh, was guilty of an accuracy on some throws. Uh, each of the commander's first two offensive drives resulted in a Carson Wentz touchdown pass, but each drive began with Carson being woefully inaccurate on a first quarter incompletion. Uh, he, on the first snap of the commander's first offensive drive, was way off on an under center play action pass to a wide-open Jahan Dodson near the left sideline. And Carson, on the first snap of the commander's second offensive drive, threw way high to an open Logan Thomas on a first and 10 shotgun play action incompletion. Uh, also, the commander's 11th offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Carson Wentz touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson with 146 left in the fourth quarter. Eighth snap of the drive, Carson threw too high to an open Dax Milne on a second and 10 shotgun incompletion. And on the 14th snap of the drive, Carson threw way high to Curtis Samuel on a second and eight shotgun play action incompletion. Again, the Carson Wentz experience. Uh, I like this from Ron Rivera's postgame press conference on Sunday, uh, a Q&A with Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Here you go. Uh, Ron, obviously, uh, there's always a lot of debate about Carson's ability, where he ranks on a quarterback number. One thing that everybody seems to kind of agree on is he's an up-and-down roller coaster, right? How are you prepared to deal with that yourself over the course of the season to kind of keep going with this? I'll take in assets. <laughs> we're going to ride with him no matter how you look at it, we're going to ride with him we'll go with the good we'll go with the bad but that's the truth of the matter I mean you know he's a guy that we did a lot of research on um, you know we, we, we did a lot of work we really did once we found he was available we watched tape we read all the all the the, the, the analytics on him and, and we felt pretty comfortable and confident this is the kind of guy that we need around here you know guys have got some, some courage that, that, that will step up into the fray and, and he'll accept responsibility and I just think that was huge of him and very proud of what he did today. Well, there you go. Ron Rivera, Don Ron, uh, prepared to start taking antacids in dealing with Carson Wentz. And so we are off and running with the Carson Wentz experience. Where it is ultimately going to take us this season, who the heck knows? And it may well be that the Carson Wentz experience ends up not being so fun. But on Sunday afternoon, the experience ended up being a good one. And Carson Wentz deserves credit for that. The extent to which he bounced back from those two fourth quarter interceptions with those two clutch fourth quarter touchdown passes, you cannot say enough about that. Well, if your lawn is looking like the bad part of the Carson Wentz experience, the two fourth quarter interceptions, and you want your lawn to look like the good part of the Carson Wentz experience, the four touchdown passes, then you got to get with Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great, fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price and aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall. Take advantage of this special offer and put Weedman to work for you. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says. 
that it's going to do. Uh, all of that sounds simple, and it is, but it's not nearly as common as it should be. Uh, also, Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Uh, Weedman does not cut corners, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. If you are not satisfied with your lawn or with who is treating your lawn, get with Weedman and take advantage of a really good offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. A fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration, and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. So quarterback Carson Wentz ended up being a hero for the Commanders in their regular season opening 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. But Carson was far from the Commanders' only hero in the game. And what I want to do this segment is highlight some of the Commanders' other offensive heroes in this game. And then I'll talk Commanders' defense next segment. Uh, Receiver Curtis Samuel. How about our guy Curtis on Sunday afternoon? He had eight receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown on 11 targets. And he had four carries for 17 yards. Now, he did have a lost fumble, and he did have a drop, but he was impactful. I mean, Curtis Samuel on Sunday afternoon was a standout all-purpose offensive weapon. This is why Washington signed him. Washington, in March 2021, signed Curtis Samuel as an unrestricted free agent, a three-year, $34.5 million contract with $21.5 million guaranteed. It's signing. He, in the 2021 regular season, though, played in just five of Washington's 17 games due to the groin injury to end all groin injuries and then a hamstring injury. And so Curtis Samuel finished this win over the Jags with 12 touches, eight receptions, and four carries. He, for the entire 2021 regular season, had 10 touches, six receptions, and four carries. So think about that. Curtis already has surpassed his production from last season. The commander's first offensive drive resulted in Carson Wentz's first quarter, second and goal, three-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel. But also from Curtis on this drive, second snap of the drive, Curtis had a second and 10, five-yard shotgun handoff run. The third snap of the drive, Carson Wentz had a third and five, 13-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel. The commander's second offensive drive resulted in Carson Wentz's second quarter, second and six, 70-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson. The second snap of that drive, Carson Wentz, a first quarter, second and 10, 11-yard shotgun play action completion on a screen to Curtis Samuel, who did a great job of generating yardage after the catch by making linebacker Devin Lloyd miss badly on an attempted tackle. The fourth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a first quarter, second and 29-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel, who made corner Darius Williams miss on an attempted tackle. The sixth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a first quarter, third and five, 12-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel, who again made a move to get by corner Darius Williams. Commander's pass catchers in this game did a really good job of generating yak and 
Curtis Samuel was a big part of that. Uh, the commander's 11th offensive drive, the game-winning drive, 13 plays, 90 yards, resulted in Carson Wentz's third and eight 24-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson with 146 left in the fourth quarter. Fourth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a second and five, 70-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel, who caught the ball between two Jags defenders. The 10th snap of the drive, Curtis Samuel, a first and 10, 11-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, he did have the lost fumble. The commander's fourth offensive drive did result in a late second quarter lost fumble by Curtis Samuel. A snap of that drive, second and 10 for the commanders at the Jags, 39 uh, Curtis, a lost fumble on a shotgun handoff run for no gain. And Curtis Samuel did have a drop. The commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt. The fifth snap of the drive, Curtis had a drop on a Carson Wentz second and two shotgun play action incompletion on a sidearm throw by Carson. But I don't know how you're not encouraged by what we saw from Curtis Samuel on Sunday afternoon. Commander's head coach Ron Rivera in a post-training camp practice press conference back on August 1st revealed that Curtis Samuel's, quote, overall football conditioning and shape, end quote, were issues. And the commanders implemented a plan for Curtis. And we heard often about the plan. And Ron would reference the plan. And you know what? The plan ended up working. I mean, Curtis Samuel wasn't even on the injury report in the lead-up to this game, and Curtis Samuel looked totally healthy in this win over the Jags. Curtis looked like you wanted him to look in this game. Here was Ron during his post-game press conference on Sunday on Curtis Samuel. I thought Curtis, you know, that's that's what we've been, you know, we've been hoping for. That's the guy that 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 we know what he's capable of, and he came out and played to his ability. He played to his uh, his skill set. Yes, he did. Uh, did you like the NFL regular season debut of receiver Jahan Dodson? Uh, not bad for a guy who the commander supposedly overdrafted, right? And taking him with the number 16 pick in the 2022 NFL draft. Jahan had three receptions for 40 yards and two touchdowns on five targets. So the commander's second offensive drive, 14 plays, 71 yards, consumed seven minutes, 31 seconds off the clock, resulted in Jahan's first touchdown catch of the game. Carson Wentz's second quarter, second and six, 70-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson. Now, also on this drive was a disastrous play for Jahan. Third snap of the drive, Jahan Dodson had a first quarter, first and 10 shotgun handoff end around run for a 10-yard loss, uh, thanks to edge defender Josh Allen running right by Antonio Gibson. But the drive did result in Jahan's first touchdown catch of the game. And then we got his second touchdown catch of the game. The commander's 11th offensive drive, the game-winning drive, 13 plays, 90 yards resulted in Carson Wentz's third and eight 24-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson with 146 left in the fourth quarter. Also on this drive, the fifth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a first and 10, nine-yard shotgun completion to Jahan Dodson. Uh, I mentioned running back Antonio Gibson. What a wild last month for him, losing his spot as the commander's number one running back, being slated to play this new role for the commanders that involves him being used more as a receiver and being used as a kickoff returner. And then everything, of course, being thrown into uncertainty with what happened with the commander's new number one running back, Brian Robinson Jr., who was on the reserve non-football injury or illness list on which he was placed on September 1st off having been shot in a leg and hip in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. Well, I have to tell you, I was very impressed 
with Antonio Gibson on Sunday afternoon. I thought that he had a really nice game. Uh, 14 carries for 58 yards, seven receptions for 72 yards on eight targets. No fumbles, okay? The man who for the 2021 regular season led all NFL running backs in fumbles with six, had zero fumbles on Sunday afternoon. And I thought that Gibson ran the ball in a much more decisive north-south way, which is what Ron Rivera has been begging for from Gibson. Uh, That game-winning commander's touchdown drive, Antonio Gibson had two key runs on that drive. The 11th snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a first and 10, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. The 12th snap of the drive and the snap right before the two-minute warning, Antonio Gibson had a second and three, six-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, The commander's Fourth offensive drive resulted in the Curtis Samuel late second quarter loss fumble. First snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at their three. Antonio Gibson, a 13-yard shotgun handoff run to give the Commanders some breathing room. Uh, The fourth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a first and 10, eight-yard under center play action completion to Antonio Gibson. The sixth snap of the drive and the first snap after the two-minute warning, Carson Wentz, a third and one, 25-yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson, who raced down the left sideline of the Commanders' sixth offensive drive. The opening drive of the second half resulted in a third quarter punt. The second snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and 10, 11-yard shotgun handoff run. The Commanders' seventh offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt. Third snap of that drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and three, three-yard under center handoff run. Uh, the commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in Carson Wentz's first fourth quarter interception. The second snap of the drive, the next to last snap of the third quarter, Carson Wentz evaded the rush of defensive lineman Foley Fatukasi on a late third quarter, first and five, four yard under center play action completion to Antonio Gibson, who made a defender miss on an attempted tackle. And then on the next snap, and what was the final snap of the third quarter, Antonio Gibson, a second and one, three-yard shotgun handoff run. A lot of good stuff from Antonio Gibson in this win over the Jags. Uh, Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on Antonio Gibson. You know, this is a young man. If we can get him in space with the ball, he's, he's, he's electric. You know, he's a dynamic football player, and those are the things that you want. You want to get guys that, you know, can make plays in space, and, you know, we got a number of them. You know, from the from the receiving core to tight ends to the running backs, we just again we've got playmakers. We just got to get them the ball in space. And another one of those playmakers is tight end Logan Thomas, who on Sunday afternoon was active. Uh, this off having suffered the season-ending torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders last December 5th. You know, this was a significant storyline these last few months. Will Logan Thomas be good to go for week one? Well, it turns out that he was. Uh, He had three receptions for 45 yards on six targets. The commander's 10th offensive drive, four plays, 78 yards, resulted in Carson Wentz's fourth quarter, first and 10, 49-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to Terry McLaurin. The snap Right before the touchdown, Carson Wentz, a third and eight, 27-yard shotgun completion to a wide-open Logan Thomas. Uh, The game-winning Commander's touchdown drive, the ninth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a third and 10, 14-yard shotgun completion to Logan Thomas across the middle. Uh, Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on the emerging chemistry between Carson Wentz and Commander's playmakers in this win over the Jags. We saw some of it coming together. You saw some really good uh, glimpses of it when he, uh, he went with Logan, found Logan a couple of times, you know, over the middle, and, and, and Logan made a couple of 
clutch catches. That was really big to see. It really was. Um, then you see the chemistry he's got with Terry and, and right on down the line. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We haven't talked much about receiver Terry McLaurin, but he also was a contributor, a meaningful contributor uh, in this win over the Jags. Uh, only had two receptions, but two receptions for 58 yards and a touchdown on four targets. And of course, the touchdown was the big 49-yard touchdown reception in the fourth quarter. Well, as you can tell from these cuts of Ron Rivera from his post-game press conference, uh, Ron was a happy man during his post-game presser on Sunday, and rightfully so. Uh, Ron, of course, also is a cancer survivor. Uh, He, in 2020, battled skin cancer, what was squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, Did you know that skin cancer is among the most common of all cancers in the United States? Uh, The good news is that skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer. Get checked, get screened, and someone who very much can help you with that is Dr. George Verghese. He and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. Yes, free. Call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big fan of the commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Uh, The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And yes, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings readings, and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs Skin Cancer Surgery and for Superficial Radiation Therapy, or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You won't find better, more state-of-the-art, or more comprehensive skin treatment and services than what you can get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you tell the Institute that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. More now on the Commanders off their 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1 of the 2022 NFL season. Here was head coach Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on what he learned about his Commanders via this win. Well, I learned they got some moxie. Uh, I really do appreciate the way they stuck to it. You know, when, when things were going bad, you know, they stuck to it. Um, really appreciate the way the coordinators took a look at it, too, as, as well, and, you know, Scott stuck to his game plan. He, he didn't. He didn't back off as exhibited by him. You know, by us throwing the ball when we had we were in field goal range. Um, you know, and that's a gutsy call, but that's the call we had to make. Um, real appreciate the way Jack handled the defense. A couple things that you know we're going to get corrected. Um, that's a big plus, and the special teams was was solid. So there were some really good things in all three phases for us. Biggest thing we can't do is we can't turn the ball over. We had too many little mistakes. 
that, 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 that you know, uh, it, it's going to hurt you. It's going to cost you, you know, and we may not be able to pull one out this way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the commander's win over the Jags was far from a clean, pristine win, but it was a win. Uh, and you heard Ron Rivera mention commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio. Let's talk about it the commander's defense in this game. Uh, First of all, the injuries already are starting to pile up for this defense. We had the frightening scene late in the fourth quarter. Interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen down. Uh, Now, he did walk off the field under his own power. There was a sense after the game in the commander's locker room that whatever happened with Jonathan Allen wasn't super serious. Hopefully, whatever happened with him is not a big deal, but until you know, you don't know. So you certainly hope for the best for Jonathan Allen. Uh, We had what happened with interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis in the first quarter on the first snap of the Jags' second offensive draw, him suffering a left leg injury and him being carted off the field. Uh, That certainly did not look good. And, you know, you don't want to rush to conclusions here, but If Fedarian Mathis has suffered a severe left leg injury and is out for the season, a commander's defensive line that already had some serious depth questions in terms of the interior of the defensive line now has even more questions because there isn't obvious depth behind the commander's top two interior defensive linemen of Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Fedarian Mathis was the number three interior defensive lineman on the team, and now you got to wonder if he's going to even play again this season. Brutal break for him. Uh, like with John, you know, you wish Fedarian all the best. Uh, and of course, the commanders came into this game without multiple key players on defense. Safety Cameron Curl, inactive due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the 24-14 preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th, and edge defender Chase Young. He's on the reserve physically unable to perform list on which he was placed on August 23rd due to the torn right ACL that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. Uh, As for the performance of the commander's defense in this win over the Jags, uh, the defense to me was mixed. There was a lot of good from the commander's defense, and I would say that there was more good than there was bad. Uh, So first of all, the commanders held the Jags to just 3 of 11 on third downs. So off Washington's defense having been hideous on third downs last season and having struggled on third downs in the preseason, the third down defense on Sunday afternoon was good. I mean, 3 of 11, that is good third down defense. Uh, The commander's pass defense overall was good. Uh, The commanders held Jags quarterback Trevor Lawrence to just 24 completions on 42 pass attempts. Uh, That works out to a completion percentage of just 57.14. And the commanders held Lawrence to just 275 yards over his 42 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.55. Also, the commanders pass rush was good. Uh, Now, the commanders only totaled two sacks but the commanders also totaled 10 quarterback hits. I thought that Deron Payne had a really good game. Three quarterback hits and two pass defenses. Uh, I thought that Montez Sweat was impactful. He had three quarterback hits. Casey Tuhill had two quarterback hits. Uh, You had some big moments in terms of the commander's pass rush coming through in this game. The Jags 
First offensive drive was the opening drive of the game, resulted in kicker Riley Patterson's first quarter 33-yard field goal for a 3-0 Jags lead. The eighth snap of the drive on a third and 12 at the Commander's 15, Deron Payne, a quarterback hit on a Trevor Lawrence shotgun incompletion of the Jags. Second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt. The fourth snap of the drive, Benjamin St. Juice came in unblocked on a blitz and smashed Trevor Lawrence, forcing him to commit a first and 10, 10-yard intentional grounding penalty. The sixth snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen abused the Jags' left guard, Ben Bartz, for a third and 15 sack at Trevor Lawrence for a nine-yard loss. Uh, the Jags' seventh offensive drive resulted in Riley Patterson's late third quarter 43-yard field goal that cut the commander's lead to 14-12. The 11th snap of the drive and the snap right before the field goal on a third and six at the commander's 25, Duran Payne, a pass defense on a Trevor Lawrence shotgun incompletion. Notice how much of this is happening on third downs. Uh, the Jags' eighth offensive drive started at the Commanders' 45 off Carson Wentz's early fourth quarter interception, resulted in Riley Patterson's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal for a 15-14 Jags lead. The third snap of the drive, Casey Tuhill, a quarterback hit on Trevor Lawrence, forcing him to commit a first and 10-12-yard intentional grounding penalty. Ron Rivera did challenge the uh, forward pass ruling, but the initial call was upheld. Uh, the fifth snap of the drive and the snap right before the field goal, Deron Payne, a pass defense, and Montez Sweat had a quarterback hit on a Trevor Lawrence third and six shotgun incompletion. The Jaguars' ninth offensive drive happened off the Commanders having just cut the Jags' lead to 22-20. The drive resulted in a fourth quarter punt. The fourth snap of the drive on a third and four for the Jags at the Commanders' 42, Deron Payne, a sack of Trevor Lawrence for a six-yard loss. Uh, you had what happened on the Jags' 10th offensive drive, the sixth snap of the drive, fourth quarter, third and 11 for the Jags at their 44. The Commanders are nursing a 28-22 lead. Derek Forrest comes up huge with an interception of a Trevor Lawrence shotgun Hail Mary heave down the left sideline, but also on that play was pass rush, a quarterback hit from Montez Sweat. The Commanders' pass rush on Sunday afternoon was impressive. Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on the commander's pass rush. And in the fourth quarter when they were gassed, they came up. They, they really did. And, and kudos to, to Montez and, you know, those other defensive ends that, you know, he kind of led that group. And then Jonathan, Duran, you know, and and and, and uh, Daniel Weiss, you know, those three guys and, and F.A. Obata having to play uh, three technique and nose. I mean, that was <laughs> that was yeoman's work, but they came through. And, and that's that's huge, especially in a game like this. Yeah, also coming through for the commander's defense in this win over the Jags was safety Derek Forrest. Uh, he started with Cam Curl out, and Forrest, to me, was really impressive. Uh, I mentioned the pick. I mean, that in and of itself was enough to make you say that Derek Forrest had a good game, but he did a lot more than just that interception. The Jags' fifth offensive drive started at the Jags' 34 off Curtis Samuel's late second quarter loss fumble. The drive resulted in Riley Patterson's missed late second quarter 37-yard field goal attempt. The ninth snap of the drive on a second and goal for the Jags at the Commander's 14. Derek Forrest blasted running back Travis Etienne for a fumble that went out of bounds. Uh, this on a Trevor Lawrence shotgun completion to Etienne for three yards. That was some hit 
by Derek Forrest. And then on the next snap, a third and goal at the Commander's 19. Derek Forrest, a pass defense on a Trevor Lawrence shotgun pass intended for receiver Zay Jones in the back of the end zone. We also have this. So Trevor Lawrence had a third quarter second and goal, three yard under center play action boot touchdown pass to running back James Robinson to cut the commander's lead to 14-9. The Jags went for two. The Jags failed in their attempt at a two-point conversion, thanks to good coverage by Derek Forrest on tight end Evan Ingram on a Trevor Lawrence shotgun incompletion. Uh, So you think about Derek Forrest, right? Washington took Forrest in the fifth round of the 2021 NFL draft out of Cincinnati. I think it is so encouraging for a lot of reasons to see a second-year player who was a fifth-round pick be up to the task like Forrest was in week one. You know, that's good drafting. That's good organizational development that you take a guy in the fifth round one year, and by week one of the following season, he is up to the task of being a meaningful contributor in a victory. Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on the development of Derek Forrest. Well, I think it's been a, a process. You know, again, it's, as, as he's gotten opportunities, he's taken advantage of them. You know, we've seen it all the way as far as being involved with special teams to, uh, to, to getting opportunities as, as, again, he was going to play the big nickel for us. Um, you know, the Buffalo and, and, and with... Um, you know, with Cam not not being available, we moved him to the safety position, gave him an opportunity, and he just worked it, worked it, and you know came on top. And, and that's what you want—a guy to come out and make plays. And Derek Forrest did just that. Uh, the bad from the Commanders' defense in the win over the Jags. So the Commanders' run defense was not good. It's funny, last season Washington's pass defense was bad, but the run defense was good. On Sunday afternoon, the commander's pass defense was good, and their run defense was bad. Uh, But the commanders allowed Jags running backs Travis Etienne and James Robinson to combine for 15 carries for 113 yards and a touchdown. 113 yards on 15 carries. That works out to 7.53 yards per carry. Uh, Robinson also had a touchdown reception that I just made mention of. Uh, the commander's secondary was guilty of way too many penalties and had some shaky moments. As good as the commander's pass defense ended up being, there were way too many sketchy moments for the commander's secondary. Uh, the Jags' first offensive drive, the opening drive of the game, resulted in the Riley Patterson first quarter 33-yard field goal. The first snap of the drive, William Jackson the third, a first and 10 five-yard illegal contact penalty for an automatic Jags first down. The third snap of the drive, our guy Derek Forrest, he did get beat, uh, got beat by receiver Kristen Kirk on a Trevor Lawrence first and 15, 25-yard shotgun completion to Kirk. Also on the play was a holding penalty on Benjamin St. Juice that was declined. Uh, The Jaguars' third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, William Jackson the third got beat by receiver Marvin Jones Jr., but he was overthrown by Trevor Lawrence on a third and five deep shotgun incompletion. There would be an example of some good luck that was on the commander's side. You know, the good pass defense wasn't always due to the commanders doing everything just right. Sometimes the good pass defense was due to the Jags doing some things wrong. Uh, The Jaguars' fourth offensive drive resulted in a turnover on downs as the commanders forced three consecutive Trevor Lawrence shotgun incompletions from the three-yard line, although the last incompletion was a drop by running back Travis Etienne, who almost certainly would have scored a touchdown 
had he made that catch. So again, good luck on the side of the Commanders. But the third snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller committed a second and 15 five-yard illegal contact penalty, negating a sack by Jamin Davis. The fourth snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller, a first and 10, 21-yard pass interference penalty. Uh, The Jags' sixth offensive drive resulted in the Trevor Lawrence third-quarter touchdown pass to James Robinson. The third snap of that drive, Kendall Fuller got beat by receiver Kristen Kirk on a Trevor Lawrence first and 10, 49-yard under center play action, deep completion to Kirk. Yeah, this was not Kendall Fuller's greatest game. Uh, The Jags' seventh offensive drive resulted in the Riley Patterson late third quarter 43-yard field goal that cut the commander's lead to 14-12. The seventh snap of that drive, Derek Forrest, a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty for a helmet-to-helmet hit on receiver James Agnew on a six-yard shotgun end-around run. Uh, On and on we can go. The Jags' 10th offensive drive resulted in the Derek Forrest fourth quarter interception, but the second snap of that drive, Bobby McCain, a second and two 12-yard Pass interference penalty. Way too many penalties on commander's defensive backs and way too many shaky moments, period. The commander's secondary is very much a work in progress. I don't I don't know how you argue anything other than that at this point with what we saw on Sunday afternoon, even though, again, the overall pass defense ended up being pretty good. Uh, also, uh, linebacker Jamin Davis on Sunday afternoon. How'd you like Jamin in pass coverage? Uh, Yeah, I thought so. Uh, There were some problems there. Uh, That Jags' first offensive drive gave us the Riley Patterson first quarter 33-yard field goal. The seventh snap of that drive on a second and 12 at the Commander's 15. Jamin Davis got beat badly in pass coverage by Travis Etienne, but Trevor Lawrence was way off on his throw. Uh, The Jags' sixth offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Trevor Lawrence touchdown pass to James Robinson in the third quarter. Fourth snap of the drive, Jamin Davis got beat by receiver Kristen Kirk on a Trevor Lawrence first and 10, 13-yard shotgun completion to Kirk. Uh, The Jaguars' eighth offensive drive started at the Commander's 45 off the Carson Wentz. Early fourth-quarter interception resulted in Riley Patterson's fourth-quarter 45-yard field goal for a 15-14 Jags lead. The fourth snap of that drive, Jamin Davis got beat by Christian Kirk on a Trevor Lawrence second and 22, 17-yard Shotgun completion to Kirk. Uh, this was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Jamin Davis. Jamin had his moments. He really did. There was a couple of mistakes he made that I know Jack wasn't happy about. But for the most part, he came up. He was physical. Um, he made some, uh, some some plays. You know, he got ISOed a couple times. That you know, we got to find ways to correct that. We can't we can't let him get ISOed on on slot receivers. Um, and uh, you know, that's something that we have to be we have to be well well aware of. Yeah, Rod Rivera definitely is right about that. Uh, Jamin Davis being ISOed on slot receivers, especially one as good as Christian Kirk, uh, not optimal. But the commander's defense overall did do some good things in this win over the Jags. Up next, I'm talking college football, a record-setting performance by Maryland quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, a big win for Virginia Tech, and ugly losses for Virginia and Navy. I'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, time now to talk college football, week two of the 2022 season. So one of the things that has come up about Queen Elizabeth II off her death this past Thursday at the age of 96, with her having been Great Britain's longest reigning monarch, uh, was her visit to a Maryland football game many years ago. Perhaps you've heard about this. October 19th, 1957, she attended a 21-7 Maryland win over North Carolina in College Park, Maryland. And so isn't it appropriate that Maryland this past Saturday afternoon played a game in the Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina? Isn't that something? What were the odds of that? And as was the case on October 19th, 1957, the Terrapins this past Saturday afternoon won. The Terps improved to 2 and do a 56-21 win at Charlotte. A very impressive win for the Terps, and yes, a bad team in Charlotte. Maryland totaled 617 total net yards of offense and did so over just 62 plays. That works out to 9.95 yards per play. Quarterback Talia Tungavailoa off a mixed performance in the Terps season opening 31-10 win over Buffalo at Maryland Stadium in College Park on September 3rd was excellent. Uh, He went 27 of 31 for 391 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. And he had two carries for six yards and a touchdown. Him going 27-31 set a single-game program record for highest completion percentage with a minimum of 15 pass attempts. His completion percentage for the game, a sparkling 87.1. He averaged 12.61 
yards per pass attempt. And he did all of this in not even playing for three full quarters. Talia had an early first quarter, first and 10, 39-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Jacob Copeland. Talia had an early second quarter, first and 10, 45-yard shotgun play action touchdown bomb to Copeland. Uh, Talia had a third quarter, third and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown run despite a terribly high snap. Now, he appeared to hurt his right ankle after scoring the touchdown, but he, after the game, said that he was dealing with a right calf cramp. Uh, this was Terps head coach Mike Loxley during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday evening on the Terps offense and on the performance of Talia Tungavailoa. It was efficient, uh, which is what we, we want to see out of our offense. I thought Leah played really well. I mean, you know, a week ago he came in the locker room and, and, and really felt like he didn't play well because he didn't throw any uh, touchdowns. But I still thought he played well enough for us to win a week ago. Today, uh, our receivers really stepped up, made some big plays early. Uh, Leah did a really good job of uh, the ball location on some of the deep shots that we've kind of uh, didn't have the timing down with a week ago. So it was good to see us, as I say, make that jump from week one to week two on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and that jump certainly was made. I mentioned receiver Jacob Copeland. He's a transfer from Florida. He had a big game in this blowout win at Charlotte. Four receptions for 110 yards and two touchdowns. Receiver Jayshon Jones had six receptions for 71 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Maryland's rushing offense was good. The Terps had 28 carries for 193 yards and three touchdowns, 6.89 yards per carry. And standing out were two guys who went to high school together, running back Antoine Littleton the second, and running back Colby McDonald. Each guy went to St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C. Littleton had just one carry the entire game, but the result of that carry was a late first quarter, second and four, 59-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. McDonald had four carries for 61 yards, including a third quarter, second and two, 49-yard pistol read option touchdown run. And Maryland's defense was mostly good. Now, Charlotte started its third string quarterback in Xavier Williams. The Terps held him and another Charlotte quarterback, Trexler Ivy, to a combined 292 yards on 51 pass attempts. That works out to just 5.73 yards per pass attempt. Now, the Terps did allow Williams and Ivy to combine for three touchdown passes versus no interceptions. And the Terps did register just one sack the entire game, but the Terps held Charlotte to just 5 of 18 on third downs. Next up for Maryland, home to SMU this Saturday night at 7.30. Good win for Virginia Tech on Saturday night. The first win for Brent Pry as Hokies head coach. Tech improved to 1-1 one one overall and 1-0 and oh in the ACC with a 27-10 win over Boston College at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia. The Hokies' defense was dominant in this game. The Hokies held Boston College to just 10 points, held Boston College to just 155 total net yards of offense and just 2.58 yards per play. The Hokies held Boston College to just 2 of 15 on third downs. The Hokies held BC quarterback Phil Jerkovic to just 15 of 28 passing for just 135 yards, a touchdown and an interception, and sacked him five times. And the interception came on Jerkovic's first pass of the game was by defensive back Armani Chapman. Uh, defensive lineman Taiwan Garbett had a big game, finished with a sack, a forced fumble, three tackles for loss, and four quarterback hurries. This was Brent Pry during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on Taiwan Garbett. Yeah, I'm very proud of him. He's, he's been battling a minor injury, and his practice time has been limited. But uh, he's a talented guy. He's instinctive. He's got good pass rush abilities. We're going to need that from him, you know, moving forward. 
Yeah, the Hokies also are going to need more good stuff from their new starting quarterback, Marshall transfer Grant Wells. Uh, now, he on Saturday night was better off a really bad performance in Tech's season opening 2017 loss at Old Dominion on September 2nd. Wells on Saturday night in this win over Boston College, 16 of 25. He had one touchdown pass versus no interceptions, and he took just one sack. Uh, but he did only throw for 140 yards, and he did quarterback a Hokies offense that went just 5 of 17 on third downs. But I tell you what, Grant Wells came up big on a third quarter drive that took place with the Hokies' lead having been cut to 17-10. Yes, Tech ended up winning in blowout fashion, but this was a one-score game in the third quarter. And yet off the Hokies' lead having been cut to 17-10, Grant Wells led a nine-play, 78-yard drive that resulted in a late third quarter, third and goal, two-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to receiver Caleb Smith. And also on the drive was a Wells' second and 10, 43-yard shotgun completion to Smith, who made a terrific one-arm catch on a deep ball down the right sideline. Here was Brent Pry during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on that completion. Yeah, you know, that's what we didn't do last week. You know, the offense taking the reins and converting and a heck of a catch by Caleb and a great throw by Grant. Um, you know, to extend that drive and go down and score. I mean, that's exactly what needed to happen, and that's what good football teams do. That was a point of emphasis all week. You know, we had an opportunity on both sides of the ball at Old Dominion to win it, to close out the game, and we didn't handle it. So it was good to see tonight. Yes, it was. Uh, also for Tech, running back Keyshawn King, four carries for 64 yards, including an early second quarter, first and 10, 65-yard Shotgun handoff touchdown run, but he did suffer what Brent Pride during his postgame press conference indicated was a minor injury. Uh, next up for the Hokies, home to Wofford this Saturday at 11 a.m. So Maryland and Virginia Tech on Saturday won, but Virginia and Navy on Saturday lost. UVA fell to 1-1, one one, a 24-3 loss at Illinois. All is not well with Virginia under new head coach Tony Elliott. You know, the Cavaliers began their season with a win, but the win was a 34-17 win over Richmond and FCS school at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on September 3rd. And the Cavs in that game actually lost the second half 7-6. Uh, well, the Cavs on Saturday got smashed. Uh, they in the first quarter led 3-0. They then, the rest of the game, got outscored at 24 0. Uh, the Wahoos offense was just awful. Uh, the Hoos totaled just 222 total net yards of offense. The Hoos went 1 of 16 on third downs. Yeah, you heard that right. 1 of 16. And quarterback Brennan Armstrong had one of his worst games as a Virginia quarterback. He completed just 13 of his 32 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 40.63. He, over his 32 pass attempts, threw for just 180 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.63. He had no touchdown passes versus two interceptions. He took five sacks, and he had minimal impact as a runner. Uh, now, Virginia's offensive line was a major part of the problem here. The line was not good. And that did get to Armstrong. Consider this from Tony Elliott during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on Brennan Armstrong. 
Yeah, uh, you know, first uh, for for a guy that had a bunch of quarterback hits, five sacks, uh, I, I, you you could see that it weared on him as the game went on. Uh, he he didn't trust his protection. He was was moving in the pocket too much. He was throwing off his back foot. He had some wide open guys, and you know just just felt the pressure and never could get settled uh, to be able to go through his progressions. Uh, so overall, you know, offensive line wise, I was disappointed uh, in how they in how they played uh, because again, you got it to games like this to to come up here and play this uh, this defense. That's going to play you in a five-man front. You got to win in the trenches, and we did not. Uh, we did not do that um, offensively. Yeah, you know, Brendan Armstrong on Saturday had a 62-yard completion to receiver Lavelle Davis Jr. If you remove that, Armstrong threw for just 118 yards over 31 pass attempts. Uh, that works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 3.81. That is a microscopic yards per pass attempt. And Armstrong not having a touchdown pass snapped his school record streak of 18 consecutive games, each with at least one touchdown pass. Uh, Not a good game for him. Not a good game for this UVA offense overall. Running backs Paris Jones, Mike Hollins, and Xavier Brown combined for 16 carries for just 47 yards, 2.94 yards per carry. Uh, UVA's defense wasn't terrible, but it did get run over by running back Chase Brown, who had 20 carries for 146 yards, 7.3 yards per carry. The Cavs did hold Illinois to just 5 of 14 on third downs and did only allow 17 true points as Illinois scored a first quarter touchdown on a fumble return for a touchdown off a loss fumble by receiver Billy Kemp the fourth on a punt return that ended up being a disaster. Uh, He ran backwards inside the Virginia 10 then lost the football and Illinois ended up scoring a touchdown on the play. Next up for Virginia, home to Old Dominion This Saturday afternoon at 2, what if ODU in the first month of the season beats both Virginia Tech and Virginia? I mean, that is very much in play with the way that UVA is looking right now. Uh, How about the way that Navy is looking right now? Uh, The midshipmen now are 0-2 overall and 0-1 in the American Athletic Conference. A season opening 14-7 loss to Delaware, an FCS school at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland on September 3rd, and now a 37-13 loss to Memphis at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis this past Saturday afternoon. Navy at the half trailed by just a 13-7 count, but the midshipmen lost the second half 24-6. Navy's run defense was okay, but the mid's pass defense got carved up by Memphis quarterback Seth Hennigan. He went 24 of 34 for 415 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Now, Navy did sack him four times, but the mids allowed him to average 12.21 yards per pass attempt and to quarterback a Memphis offense that went 9 of 15 on third downs. Uh, and Navy's rushing offense was not good for a second time in as many games. So the mids totaled 58 carries for 215 yards and a touchdown, 3.71 yards per carry. And Navy took just two sacks, so the lost yardage on sacks only impacted the rushing numbers so much. Uh, quarterback Ty Lovatai, 18 carries for just 37 yards and a touchdown. He, for a second time in as many games, was actually fairly impactful as a passer. Uh, three of seven passing for 99 yards, including a late first quarter, third and seven, 62 yard under center touchdown pass to fullback Anton Hall Jr., who was wide open, bobbled the ball and stumbled, but ultimately made the catch, kept his balance, and raced into the end zone. But Hall had a lost fumble on a rush attempt. In the third quarter, and speaking of turnovers, backup quarterback Xavier Arline and slotback Mikel Haywood went a combined 0-4 passing with 
two interceptions. And the Haywood interception was a killer. It came on a second quarter, second and six at the Memphis 29 on a halfback option play uh, for which head coach Kenny Amatololo was very hard on himself during his postgame press conference in terms of the play call, which came with Navy trailing by just three points at 10-7. In fact, this was Kenny Amatololo during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on Navy's offense. Well, from the first game, there was nowhere to go but up. You know what I mean? So I thought it was better, but still not, not good enough. Um, still too many mistakes. Like I said, I, I, I killed us with that bad call. Um, like I said, I thought that changed the momentum of the game. Um, I have a chance to score there at the end of the half with that. Um, but, yeah, we played better than last week. But like I said, there's, there's nowhere to go but up from that. Yeah, Navy's rushing offense has been quite bad over two games, and uh, that, of course, is a problem for a team that runs the triple option. Uh, Next up for the Mids at East Carolina on Saturday, September 24th. Also, shout out to James Madison, the Dukes, making the transition from the FCS to the FBS. Uh, They're now 2-0 with two blowout wins, a 63-7 blowout of Norfolk State on Saturday. Quarterback Todd Centeo, 12-17 for 165 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took no sacks, and he had four carries for 29 yards. Todd Centeo, through week two of the 2022 college football season, is number nine among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 87.3. How about that? James Madison's quarterback, Todd Centeo, number nine in the FBS in total QBR so far this season. Uh, Not too shabby. Next up for JMU, it's Sunbelt Conference opener at Appalachian State on Saturday, September 24th. And how about App State? The Mountaineers this past Saturday, a 17-14 win at number six, Texas A&M. This office season opening 63-61 home loss to North Carolina on September 3rd. This game for James Madison at Appalachian State in two Saturdays could be nuts. Well, as you may have heard, major changes are coming for Major League Baseball. Uh, MLB's Joint Competition Committee on Friday voted in favor of three major rule changes for the 2023 season. The Joint Competition Committee, by the way, is a voting body consisting of four active players, six members appointed by MLB, and one umpire. Uh, The Joint Competition Committee was created as part of the collective bargaining agreement for 2022 through 2026. Rule change number one, timers. Beginning with the 2023 season, there will be a 30-second timer between batters, a 15-second timer between pitches with the bases empty, and a 20-second timer between pitches with at least one runner on base. Uh, I love this change. Uh, This is much needed. Major League games are way too long, and they're unnecessarily long, so bravo on this. Uh, Rule change number two, defensive shift limits. Beginning with the 2023 season, a defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield with at least two infielders completely on each side of second base. I am not a fan of this change. Uh, I don't like restricting 
defensive alignments like this. And rule change number three, bigger bases. Beginning with the 2023 season, first base, second base, and third base each will go from being 15 inches square to 18 inches square. Home plate will be unchanged. Uh, The idea behind bigger bases is to give players more room to operate and to avoid collisions. But what could also happen is more stolen bases because the first, second, and third base bags are going to be bigger. So big changes for MLB. Uh, This as we are in the midst of big changes for the Nationals with the state of the team over the last few years and all of the players who have been traded. And perhaps as soon as this coming offseason, new ownership for the Nats. Uh, But in the meantime, the Nats are playing out the string of this lost season. Uh, The Nats have the worst record in the majors, uh, and they over the weekend got swept in a three-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. Friday night, a 5-3 loss. Saturday evening, an 8-5 loss. Sunday, a 7-5 rain-delayed loss that featured a rain delay that was longer than the actual game. Time of game, 3 hours, 29 minutes. Time of rain delay, 3 hours, 36 minutes. And the three-game sweep at the Phillies concluded what ended up being a four and six road trip for the Nats. The road trip got off to a promising start. Nats went four and three over seven games at the National League East leading New York Mets and the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals. But the Nats then got swept over three games at the Phillies. Nats now are a major league worst 49 and 92 in the 2022 regular season. A few things from this series to be mindful of as a Nats fan. So the Nats have gotten ravaged by the National League East this season. We've talked about that. The Nats in the 2022 regular season now are a mere 11 and 46 against NL East teams. Uh, The Nats just cannot keep up, especially with a team like the Phillies that hits a lot of home runs. And the Nats pitching in this series got worked. Uh, Patrick Corbin in game one was not good for the first time in four starts. Corbin in the 5-3 loss at the Phillies on Friday night, five runs in six and two-thirds innings. He gave up 12 hits, two home runs, a triple, a double, and eight singles. He recorded just two strikeouts. But what was so interesting about Corbin's outing is he issued no walks, and he was pitch efficient, and he threw a lot of strikes. He only threw 69 pitches, and he threw 54 strikes versus a mere 15 balls. A very odd final line for Patrick Corbin with his outing. I mean, again, five runs in six and two-thirds innings, not good, but 54 strikes versus 15 balls is excellent. Uh, Corbin now in the 2022 regular season, 28 starts, ERA of 6.30, and a whip of 171. Uh, Those numbers are brutal. Uh, Eric Fetty, he in game two was bad for a second time in three starts. Fetty in the 8-5 loss at the Phillies on Saturday evening. Four runs in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He was all over the place with his control. He issued four walks. He recorded just one strikeout, and he threw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. Three and two-thirds innings, 79 pitches, 42 strikes, versus 37 balls. I mentioned that Fetty gave up a homer. Uh, Fetty in a Phillies two-run third gave up a two-out, two-run opposite field homer to ex-nat Bryce Harper to left field to tie the game at two. The homer winner projected 403 feet per stat cast. And I highlight this because Bryce Harper has owned Eric Fetty. The two went to the same high school, Las Vegas high school. Bryce now has six career regular season home runs off Fetty, who for the 2022 regular season now, over 23 major league starts, has an ERA of 524. It is uh, not surprising, but certainly is disappointing 
that Eric Fetty's season has gone the way that it has. Fetty, over his first nine starts of the 2022 regular season, had an ERA of 355. That ERA now has ballooned to 524. And then Anibal Sanchez was an at-starting pitcher in Game 3 of this series at the Phillies. And he was not good off having been good in each of his previous four starts. Now, this was an abbreviated outing for Anibal Sanchez. He, in the 7-5 rain-delayed loss at the Phillies on Sunday, allowed one run in two innings. And he then did not return to the game after that rain delay of, again, three hours, 36 minutes. Uh, Anibal, over his two innings, gave up a double and a single, issued three walks and threw 46 pitches, 24 strikes versus 22 balls. Uh, the Nats' bullpen had major problems in games two and three of the series. Just look at Sunday. Five Nats relievers combined to allow six runs in six innings. And, you know, I mentioned Nats pitching, giving up all these home runs. Uh, you saw this certainly in this game on Sunday. So Jordan Weems did toss a perfect bottom of the third with two strikeouts. But Erasmo Ramirez, who overall has been quite good for the Nats this season, uh, he on Sunday tossed a scoreless bottom of the fourth, but he in the bottom of the fifth gave up three runs. He allowed all four batters he faced in the inning to reach base, including giving up a three-run homer to Reese Hoskins on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at four. Uh, Hunter Harvey allowed one run in two innings. Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the seventh allowed two runs as he gave up a two-run homer to Alec Bohm for a 7-5 Phillies lead. Paolo Espino did toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth. I mentioned Jordan Weems. He is back with the Nats at the major league level. The Nats on Friday designated reliever Jake McGee for assignment and recalled Weems from AAA Rochester. So the Jake McGee experiment did not work out. Uh, The Nats on August 9th claimed McGee off waivers from the Milwaukee Brewers. McGee for the Nats in the 2022 regular season, seven earned runs in 10 innings over 12 appearances. Uh, This season, is his age 35 season. He had struggled with the Brewers and the San Francisco Giants in the 2022 regular season, a combined 27 innings, ERA of seven, whip of 152. He was, though, quite good for the Giants last season. And McGee does have a history with both Nats manager Davey Martinez and Nats pitching coach Jim Hickey. McGee pitched for the Tampa Bay Rays from 2010 through 2015. Davey was the Rays bench coach from 2008 through 2014. Hickey was the Rays pitching coach from 2007 through 2017. But alas, uh, the Jake McGee magic uh, was not to be, at least not with the Nats. Uh, So in terms of like, okay, the Nats season is winding down. What really matters right now? Well, what matters the most, obviously, are the performances of potential building blocks for the Nats. And so with that in mind, I don't think anything was more encouraging for the Nats over the last few days than the performance of C.J. Abrams, especially defensively. So the Nats acquired C.J. Abrams via trade with the San Diego Padres. You may have heard of this trade. Uh, Abrams was part of a six-player package for right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell in that mega deal that went down on 2022 MLB trade deadline day on August 2nd. C.J. Abrams, very highly touted prospect. Uh, The Padres took him with the number six pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. And Abrams is so good defensively already, okay? And this really stuck out in this series, just to go through each game. So Abrams in the 5-3 loss at the Phillies on Friday night was an at-starting shortstop and number six batter. One for four with a single and a stolen base and two very good defensive plays. Abrams in the top of the fourth, a two-out single to right field despite having been down in the count at 1.12 and he had a stolen base. Abrams in the bottom of the third made an impressive play on a Matt Veerling leadoff ground out as Abrams made a nice catch of a grounder up the middle then fired a throw to first base in the opposite direction of his body while running toward right field for the out. Abrams in the bottom of the sixth, an outstanding defensive play on 
a one-out ground out off the bat of Alec Bohm as Abrams made a diving backhanded catch in shallow left field and then fired a one-hop throw to first baseman Joey Manessis, who made a nice backhanded catch for the out. Uh, Abrams in the 8-5 loss at the Phillies on Saturday evening was an at starting shortstop and number nine batter, one for four with a single and another impressive Defensive play, he and the Nats one run ninth had a one-out single to center field, and he in the bottom of the first made a tremendous defensive play. With the bases loaded and one out, Gene Segura hit a bouncer up the middle. Abrams made an impressive leaping catch of the grounder with his left arm, his glove arm fully extended. Then upon landing on the infield dirt, had to like stutter step in order to halt his momentum toward right field then gathered himself to where he stepped on second base for the force out. And then with Segura sliding into Abrams, Abrams fired a throw to first baseman Luke Void. All of this to complete an ultra-impressive 6-3 double play. And credit to Void for making a good backhanded catch while fully extended himself. And then C.J. Abrams in the 7-5 rain-delayed loss at the Phillies on Sunday as an ad starting shortstop and number six batter, two for four with two more singles and another impressive defensive play. Abrams in the Nats three-run fourth, a bunt single toward third base. Abrams in the top of the fifth, a two-out single to left center field despite having been down to the count at one point, one, two. And Abrams in the bottom of the fifth with runners on second and third, one out, and the game tied at four while playing near the infield grass made a diving catch of a grounder off the bat of Bryson Stott and then throw to first for the second out. Uh, Look, C.J. Abrams still has a ways to go as a batter at the major league level, although he is starting to pile up the hits, uh, although they are, for the most part, singles. But C.J. Abrams already is there defensively, okay? You see the athleticism. You see the range. You see the ability to make the difficult play. All of those things are on display on basically a game-in, game-out basis right now. Uh, another bright spot for the Nats in this series, Lane Thomas. Uh, the Lane train continues to hit. So Lane Thomas was the Nats starting center fielder and number one batter in all three games in this series. We did not see Victor Robles. We did see a whole lot of Lane Thomas, and he had at least two hits in each game in the series. Lane Thomas on Friday night, two for four with an RBI triple, a single and a stolen base. Lane Thomas on Saturday evening, three for five with two RBI singles and another single. And Lane Thomas on Sunday, two for five with a double and a single. Now look, we kind of got duped (laughs) into thinking Lane Thomas was something that maybe he isn't with how well he hit over the final few months of last season. Uh, And then he got off to a really bad start to this season. But Lane Thomas, for more than a month now, has been hitting pretty well, and he is having an excellent September, and he has been a consistent offensive force here for the Nats lately. Uh, Ildemaro Vargas continues to be a consistent offensive force for the Nats. I don't know how and why this is happening, you know, and like with Lane Thomas last season to at least the earlier portion of this season, this may be misleading, okay? I mean, Ildemaro Vargas is in the midst of his age 30 season. The Nats signed him as a free agent this past May. He has bounced all around the majors, but man, I mean, he has hit well for the Nats uh, since they brought him up from AAA Rochester. The Nats on August 1st selected the contract of Vargas from AAA Rochester. This was done off the Nats earlier in the day, having traded super utility man A. Ray Adrianza to the Atlanta Braves. And like all Vargas has done since he came up is play good defense for the most part anyway, and hit uh, Vargas in this series. So Friday night, 
Top of the ninth, he had a pinch two-out single to center field to knock former Nats reliever Brad Hand out of the game despite having been down to the count at 1.12. Vargas on Saturday evening was an ad starting third baseman and number seven batter, two for four with an RBI double and a single, although he did commit a throwing error. And then Vargas on Sunday was an ad starting second baseman and number nine batter. Uh, Luis Garcia did not play in either of the final two games in the series as he has been dealing with a sore right side. Cesar Hernandez was an ad starting second baseman for game two of this series, the Saturday evening game, and Cesar had a woeful defensive game in that game. And so Cesar on Sunday was actually the Nats starting third baseman and Vargas, who normally is an ad starting third baseman these days, was an ad starting second baseman. So Vargas on Sunday, starting second baseman, number nine batter, two for four with a double and an RBI single. I mean, the, the guy is doing a nice job here uh, for the Nats. I don't know what it means, but he is doing a good job. No game for the Nats on Monday. Next up for them is a two-game series against the Orioles at Nationals Park. Game one Tuesday night at 7.05, Corey Abbott will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And Game 2, Wednesday night at 7.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And as for the O's... Yeah, the Orioles right now are in a bit of a rut. Uh, they've lost six of their last eight games, including losing two or three games to the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the weekend. Friday night, a 3-2 win, but Saturday, a 17-4 loss, and Sunday afternoon, a 1-0 loss. Uh, the O's in the 2022 regular season now are 73-67 and and five and a half games behind the Toronto Blue Jays to the American League's third wildcard spot. Uh, the O's are fading here in the AL wildcard race. Still time to catch up, but time is running out right now. Uh, mixed series for the Orioles starting pitching. Uh, Austin Voth in game one was so-so. Voth in that 3-2 win over the Red Sox on Friday night. Uh, two runs in four innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. Issued two walks. He did record five strikeouts. He over his four innings through 88 pitches, 54 strikes versus 34 balls. Uh, still though, for Austin Voth with the O's, 18 games including 14 starts, 67 innings, ERA of 282. And the Orioles bullpen in that win on Friday night was really good. Five Orioles relievers combined for five scoreless innings. Not among the relievers was the Orioles closer Felix Batista who was unavailable due to arm fatigue. D.L. Hall won in a third scoreless innings. He looked really good. Remember the O's on September 1st recalled Hall from AAA Norfolk. He, as of that day, was the number 92 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Uh, Dylan Tate on Friday night won in a third scoreless innings for a four-out save, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 266. Now, Tate in the top of the eighth did commit a fielding error as he overran a slow roller off the bat of Kike Hernandez with two outs, giving the Red Sox runners at the corners with the O's nursing a 3-2 lead, but Tate then struck out pinch hitter Reese McGuire on seven pitches for the third out. Then came that 17-4 uh, loss on Saturday, and Jordan Lyles got rocked. Uh, Lyles in that game made his first start in 10 days. As you may recall, he was supposed to start game one of a doubleheader against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Labor Day, but he woke up feeling ill. His start got pushed back to game two of the doubleheader, but he still was not feeling well enough to pitch, and so he didn't start either game. The O's ended up allowing 15 runs and getting swept in the 
the doubleheader. And Lyles ended up not starting at all in that series against the Blue Jays, which was a big series. Uh, well, Lyles in this 17-4 loss to the Red Sox on Saturday got shellacked. Uh, he gave up eight runs in three and two-thirds innings. Two of the runs charged to him did come with reliever Keegan Aiken pitching, but Lyles in a four-run Red Sox first began the game by allowing four consecutive batters to reach base, including giving up a grand slam to Rafael Devers to left center field. Uh, the homer winner projected 425 feet per stat cast. Uh, Jordan Lyles now in the 2022 regular season, 28 starts, ERA of four. 62. He at times has been really good, but he also at times has uh, struggled, and uh, he did struggle on Saturday. Kyle Bradish, though, did not struggle. Uh, Bradish in game three of this series was really good for a third time in four starts. The problem was that the O scored zero runs, uh, but Bradish in the one nothing loss to the Red Sox on Sunday afternoon, one run in seven innings. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his seven innings, threw 93 pitches, 53 strikes versus 40 balls. So for Kyle Bradish now, you know, his previous outing uh, was lackluster. The 9-6 win over the Blue Jays this past Tuesday night. Bradish in that game lasted for just three innings. He gave up three runs in the three innings. But his two starts prior to that start were really good. Uh, Bradish in a 2-0 win at the American League leading Houston Astros on August 26th, eight scoreless innings, and Bradish in a 3-0 win at the American League Central leading Cleveland Guardians on September 1st, seven scoreless innings. So he's got at least seven innings in three of his last four starts now. Uh, the Orioles' offense has become rather unreliable. This is a part of why the O's have lost six of their last eight games, but I did want to highlight a few things. So Gunnar Henderson in the 3-2 win on Friday night. He was the Orioles' starting shortstop and number five batter. He went two for three with a double, a two-run single, and a walk. Henderson in the bottom of the fifth threw a one-out four-pitch walk. Henderson in an Orioles' three-run six had a one-out two-run single through the right side of the infield for a 3-2 Orioles lead, completing their comeback from a 2-0 six-inning deficit. And Henderson in the bottom of the eighth a two-out opposite field double to the left center field gap despite having been down to the count of 1.12. The ball had an exit velocity of 108.9 miles per hour per stat cast. Uh, Gunnar Henderson has been so impressive since the O's on August 31st selected his contract from AAA Norfolk. Uh, the O's took Henderson in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Alabama. This season is his age at 21 season. He, at the time of being called up to the majors, was the number two prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. And nothing that he has done since he was called up to the majors has made you think that he was not deserving of being the number two prospect in baseball. The defensive versatility alone is special, but this guy can play third base, shortstop, and second base. I mean, that right there is something to marvel at. But just the fact that, like, he has hit since he came up to the majors. Like, he has made the transition from AAA Norfolk to the major league level with the O's so smoothly in terms of the offense. He has produced, and he produced big time on Friday night. Uh, Cedric Mullins was good offensively over the first two games of this series. He is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter in each of the first two games was good. Uh, Mullins in the game on Friday night, three for four with three singles. He did, though, get thrown out on an attempted steal of second base in the bottom of the first, and he had a leadoff full count single in the bottom of the fourth, got thrown out at second base in his attempt 
to stretch the single into a double. And then Mullins in that uh, 17-4 loss on Saturday, uh, two for four with a solo homer and an RBI single. Uh, no game for the O's on Monday. They in their two-game series at the Nationals will start Dean Kramer on Tuesday night in Game 1 and Tyler Wells on Wednesday night in Game 2. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 398. We'll have a lot more on the commanders of their regular season opening 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. We on Monday will have the day after the game, a press conference of commanders head coach Ron Rivera. Lots to chew on. Lots to get into. I tell you, one and oh, that feels so much better than oh and one. Have a great rest of your Victory Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I know it's been a wild off season for me, for all of us, but we have so much potential in this locker room. For us to go out and do the thing we did tonight, I know it looked rough for a second. Back-to-back passes thrown to the other team, that's on me. But that's the way we finish. And that's what good teams do. You find a way to win. It ain't always going to be pretty in this league. But you find a way to dig deep and get it done in the end. And that's what we did tonight. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.